time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. COVID-19 is the biggest health crisis in our lifetime. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals to stop it, but we need your help. Even if you don't feel sick, you could be carrying it. And just one person with the virus can infect another 40, who then infect thousands more. So I've issued an executive order requiring everyone to stay home to help limit the spread of the virus. Let's protect the people we love. Stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody, as we roll into hour two of our three-hour tour. We're going to be talking this hour about um, a practical guide to emotionally dealing with pandemics and other diseases is uh, the subject of a book called Seven Keys to Navigating a Crisis, co-authored by Dr. Elia Gugurus and uh, Constantinos Apostolopoulos, and I didn't know if I was going to be able to spit that out, but I managed. Uh, joining me by phone is Constantinos. Uh, Con, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Tom, and uh, kudos. That is not, uh, that's not an easy first attempt on live radio. <laughs> no, it isn't. I looked at that name and I went, oh, wait a minute, there's at least one too many syllables in there, Con. <laughs> Anyway, um, tell tell me about the uh, uh, the emotional fallout from pandemics. Well, I think that's a very very important question for us to address um, in our discussion today, and I think beyond that. Um, let me kind of preface that a little bit by saying, first of all, that the way that we deal as individuals, as people. With, with change, massive change, and especially a crisis change, is that inside of us we have, um, we have the capacity to manage that, but it's kind of like a sponge. And that sponge can only take so much water. So we pour on a COVID-19 pandemic, global pandemic, that is, has killed over 150, 160,000 of our fellow citizens here in the States alone. Um, and that's pretty stressful. You pour on top of that, 30, 40 million people unemployed and a financial crisis that's looming right now with uncertainty and a financial pause, that's a lot more onto that sponge. Then we have people out in the streets protesting about racial and social injustices and the insecurities that we feel there. Um, That's another bucket of water on that sponge. At some point, that sponge can only absorb so much. So our ability now to cope with that change is being seriously, seriously jeopardized and impacted. And we are feeling the effects of this long, long, long-running problem. Unlike um, 
a regular disaster, for example, if you could call that regular, but an earthquake, a hurricane, a natural disaster of some sort, even uh, other things that, that impact us, they have, a, they have an ending at some point. This is still ongoing right now. And all of that pandemic fatigue that we're feeling right now is really, really impacting all of us emotionally, mentally. Um, in the first 60 days or so, reports are, are noting 800, 800% increase in reports of mental illness, stress, um, anxiety, depression, the signs of trauma. And it is indeed a trauma. Let's not kid ourselves. We are dealing with a very traumatic experience. And as a result of that, we're seeing all that fall out. So the emotional mental crisis is going to be with us for a while. Um, Con, let me, let me ask you this. I'm glad you brought up the hurricane because even in, even in a huge disaster uh, of a hurricane like the one we saw in, in uh, New Orleans with uh, Katrina, mm-hmm. um, as you said, there is an end to it. Even regardless of how horrible it is, a, a few days, a, a couple of weeks goes by, and then people start rebuilding, and eventually it, things work their way back to normal, and there's some sense of purpose in building back to normal. But in the current environment that you described, um, when we're in this uh, shelter at home thing, there's isn't there kind of a helplessness, and and what kicks in there um, with the mental illness increase that you're talking about? Is that primarily depression, or is it fear based? Those are very very good questions, and let's talk about that. Let's break that down a little bit further. Yeah, please. Um, Anger, depression, two sides of the same coin. It's essentially our fight-or-flight mechanism that we, 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 we jump into when we feel threatened. And it's important for people to realize that in this situation right now, there is a huge difference between danger and fear. Let's not kid ourselves. There's a real danger out there. 160,000 people dead is not a small thing. It's, it's a real dangerous situation out there. However... Allowing our fear to take over and common sense going out the window is a terrible thing because then we're reacting from a fear-based situation. We're lashing out in anger or we are, we are, we are curling up into a ball in a, in, a, in a sense of depression emotionally from that piece and not thinking clearly and not making the best choices that we can. So differentiating those two and saying, okay, here is a dangerous situation. I need to react to that. I, here are the things that I can do, the steps that I can take. Whether that be, you know what, I'm going to isolate myself a little bit or I'm going to social distance or I'm going to put on a mask or I'm going to protect the most vulnerable among us. Um, I have someone in my own home that is of a high-risk category with respiratory problems. And we've made a conscious choice, for example, to protect that person, even if it's not for ourselves, for her. And these are things that we need to do and we need to react to the real danger. However, Taking extreme measures that don't make sense because we are reacting in fear is not in our best interest either. I mean, typically people will respond in a number of different ways to a crisis to change. And we see what we call four different modes or personalities come out. The first one is the one that we call the victim. Our initial reaction is usually, why is this happening to me? Yeah, woe is me. 
Yeah, what was me? We start becoming that victim. Why did this happen to me? I had so many wonderful plans for the summer. Now I'm locked up in my house. Con, I can't do this. I can't go see my friends. Con, yes. I, I have a friend who likes to characterize that as, by saying, why is my life so much tougher than everybody else's? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because we only see that through our own eyes, through our filter. But I can guarantee you there are people out there that are struggling a lot more than we are right now. But we can't see it because we're in that initial victim mode. The second response that we tend to see is that of a critic. And a critic kind of looks at things around and, and offers no positive solutions, but rather criticizes everything. And they all have Facebook pages. Exactly. And they all <laughs> are not afraid to use them. Yeah, that's right. So they'll go out there. So they'll go out there and they say, you know what? Hey. Somebody said I should wear a mask. Well, that's stupid. That's gonna. I'm gonna suffocate. That that goes against everything I believe. Okay. Well, don't wear a mask. And then they'll lash out and say, "No, what are you trying to do? Kill me?" So right. they offer no solutions, but will criticize everything. Nothing will work in their in their mind. The third reaction that we see is that is that more passive approach, that deer in the headlights feeling of the bystander that sits around and says, "You know what? Um, I'm not really sure what to do, so I'm not going to do anything." I'm just going to hide in a corner right now. I'm going to let Tom take that first step. And uh, if Tom survives, then I'll come out and do my part as well. All three of those reactions are not productive. They're coming from a fear-based approach because something is missing. Something is missing, whether it's the right kind of information, the guidance, uh, an insight, a desire, whatever it might be, something is missing and we need to find out. Because once we figure that out, it allows us to fall into that fourth mode, that fourth personality, if you will. And that's the personality, the mode of a navigator. Now, a navigator may not know exactly that terrain, but they've seen enough. They use their experience to basically assess the situation, how they're feeling, how other people around them are doing, share some thoughts, perhaps even assess the situation and say, okay, what's real, what isn't, what's my fear, what is the actual danger, and then they act accordingly, individually or with others, They'll approach the situation and they'll say, you know what, hey, let's do something. Let me take control of something. What can I take control of? Even my attitude. Can I change the way I, I approach this? Can I do one thing, maybe for myself or for a neighbor or a loved one? Can I pick up the phone and call Tom and see how he's doing? Then you start getting into a more positive frame of mind. You start becoming more assertive, and now you're starting to take small steps to take better control of the change event itself. So these are some of the things that we can do, Tom. You know, I uh, had my own studio, and back in January, I closed the studio, brought all my radio gear home, and set up mm -hmm. a studio at home. And that mm -hmm. was before the pandemic really became known to people and before the mm -hmm. shelter-at-home uh, advice and, and advisories uh, started kicking in around the country. And... And I remember thinking, you know, here I am doing my radio show from home. Now everybody's doing it. Um, but but I was always mindful of the fact that I didn't feel like I was being inconvenienced too much. I was already working from home. and um, but, but then it didn't take very many weeks, Con, before even, even though I had intended to be here and work from home, that I started feeling cut off. Yes, and that's a, that, that's a very, very um, common feeling that we all have at this point in time. Uh, even for those of us that are perhaps surrounded with loved ones or who have 
the opportunity like yourself or like me to be able to work from home on a regular basis anyway. It's still very, very difficult. It's We still feel that because part of it is we talk about social distancing as a term that was introduced to us now in 2020. It's not a term that we commonly use before. But to me, I think that needs to be corrected. I think that, that, that we kind of overshot the mark with that one. In my mind, it should never be social distancing. It should be physical distancing in order to protect others. We can still connect emotionally with that's the people a, that we care about. That's a, that's a great distinction because social distancing, um, the, the way we're interpreting it, sort of breeds social isolation. Correct. And there's a difference between that loneliness and being alone. I mean, you can still feel lonely in a room full of people. But being alone is part of what, in many cases, is required of us to protect ourselves and others like we talked about. But I can still connect. I can still reach out with the phone and with my voice right now through your program and reach thousands of people and connect with them. And that's a very powerful feeling. So there are other ways. It's just not the way that we're used to. And is it difficult? Yes. But it's only temporary. And that's part of what we say in Greece and with my ancestors. There is nothing more permanent than the temporary. We're being asked to make sacrifices right now for the greater good for people to be able to minimize the impact of this. And then we can return to not the old normal. People should, not, should, should put that aside. We're not going to be going back to the old normal. But we're going to go to that next normal. And then the next normal. And then the next normal. Because things will always be evolving. We will never be able to travel by an airplane the same way we did prior to 9-11. That that crisis changed us, just like this one is changing us now. And also having an impact on air travel. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so 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 these are the things that we need to consider. You know, I'm hoping that uh, Elia will join us during this conversation. Uh, Dr. Elia Gugurus, who is uh, your co-author of the book, Seven Keys to Navigating a Crisis, a Practical Guide to Emotionally Dealing with Pandemics and Other Disasters. Um, my guest is uh, Konstantinos Apostolopoulos, and we're, uh, Con, we have, to, we have to go to break here in about a minute and a half, and I'm hoping that you'll stick around so we can dig into this some more. I'm, I'm fascinated by the... Uh, thing you brought up about the four personality types and and uh, or four ways that people react to uh, uh, some sort of disaster or pandemic change is a good way to put it con um and and my my question is maybe you can ponder on it for a couple minutes while we go to break and and we'll get into it when we come back on the other side is um do these people know that they're experiencing what they're experiencing and that they're fitting into a particular category? Because it seems like they'd have to know that before they can figure out what to do about it. So we'll get into that and much more with uh, with Khan when we return. If you're listening to us on WFOV 92.1 FM, our voices radio in Flint, um, 
They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend uh, Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be right back. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays at 11 for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zondrick. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. This is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. The Spangled Dwarf in his bow tie. The infantry that don't ask why. I'm Bob Dylan. Remember those fabulous 60s? The marches, the beans, the draft card burnings, and best of all, the music. Well, now Apple House has collected the finest of those songs on one album called Golden Protest, performed by the original artist who made them famous. You're thrilled to Society's Child by Janice Pleasant Valley Sunday by the Monkees. What have they done to the rain by the Searchers? In the Ghetto by Elvis Presley. Silent Night, 7 o'clock news by Simon and Garfunkel. Who can ever forget this all-time classic? Yes, it's Barry Maguire's immortal Eve of Destruction. And, of course, my own Masters of War. All for the incredibly low price of $3.95. And if you order now, you'll also receive a treasury of acid rock featuring vanilla fudge, blue chair, frigid pink, Moby Grape, the electric prunes, Jefferson Airplane, Lotharian hand people, to name but a few. Plus, as part of this special limited offer, you also get the best of the supergroups with Traffic, Cream, Blind Faith, Ginger Baker's Air Force, and many, many others. 
Yes, this is a collector's dream. Cold in protest, plus two fabulous 60s albums, all for only $3.95. If you were to purchase these selections separately, they'd cost you hundreds of dollars, and many cannot be found anywhere at any price. Well, it's time for my boot heels to be wandering, but here's something that'll tell you how you can get this amazing record package. Here's how to order this amazing record package. Just send $3.95 and check your money order, plus your name and address to Apple House Box 70K South Bend, Indiana. Once again, that's $3.95 and check your money to Apple House Box 70 Tom Sumner, Program.com. The Tom Sumner, Program.com. This is Jill Stein, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Um, anyway, we continue our conversation with um, we continue our conversation with the uh, one of the co-authors of a new book called Seven Keys to Navigating a Crisis, a Practical Guide to Emotionally Dealing with Pandemics and Other Diseases. Konstantinos um, Apostolopoulos is uh, one of the authors, and he joins me by phone. Con, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Well, thank you. Thank you for the conversation and the opportunity, Tom. Now, just before the break, we were talking about um, four different ways that people react to change whether it's a pandemic or some other disaster and and you describe those those four different ways that people respond um but what i wanted to explore a little bit is when you're reacting it just seems like you're reacting the way you react you don't think of it as a special kind of reaction so how how do people know that they're reacting a, a specific way and how to um, ad- address that to to um, make themselves feel better? That's a great question. That's a very good question. Uh, sometimes because it feels like you're on the inside of the bottle trying to read the label, and it's very difficult to do that. Um, so let's, let's break it down. First of all, let me make a clarification for your audience and for all of us. Um, these four different reactions, these four different modes of personalities, as we might call them, uh, can exist in the same person. Uh, we all go through those. Um, for example, like you said, uh, when you were impacted, when you saw the signs on the wall and you moved your studio into your own home, you were making a reaction there. You probably may have looked at it and said, okay, why is this happening to me right now? Why am I, I had a good thing going, the studio was working well, why is this happening to me? Or you may have criticized the situation. I don't understand why the governor is putting us out there to make sure that we're all at home. I'm feeling very isolated right now. Or... Quite honestly, I really don't know how to react right now. I'm not sure what to do. All of those, you may feel them in the same day throughout that whole thing. We all go through those moments. Even if we are a navigator, that fourth, more more proactive approach that we might take, it doesn't mean that you may not slip back into things when things go up and down emotionally. The key thing here is awareness. Part of what helps us from a maturation standpoint or our ability to grow that proverbial sponge and our ability or capacity to handle change is our ability to recognize that. You can catch yourself thinking, okay, I sound really victimy right now. I sound like I'm having my own, my own little party here, and I'm feeling sorry for myself. We know when that's happening. We, 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 we can tell when that's happening. At some point, that awareness level hits us, or maybe a loved one points it out and says, oh, hold on a minute. But once we understand that, the next step 
is to say, okay, what's missing? What do I need here? Am I feeling helpless here? Is it because I don't feel like I have any control over the situation? Okay, well, what can I do to kind of regain some control in my life? Is it just rearranging my desk? Is it just taking hold of my mental state right now and saying, okay, what can I do? Is it simply, you know, if I'm feeling that anxious and out of control and dysregulated, simply going through a, a simple countdown? My wife introduced me to that because she's very, very familiar with a lot of those anxiety attacks that people may have, and having a father that was a doctor helped, and she's helped others. She says, you know, count it down. Five things I can see. Let me count them off. One, two, three, four, five. Maybe four things that I can hear. Three things that I can smell. Two things that I can touch, whatever. All the way down to... to, to Take away that sting into my senses and bring me back to the real world. Bring me back to the reality that I need to deal with and away from that fear-based approach to things. These are simple things that we can do, and we describe a number of them in the book. Now, for more serious situations, because this is a traumatic event, it's important that we seek out help. It's important that we find people that we trust, loved ones, or professionals that can help us and counsel us through that process. Let's not fool ourselves. The fallout from this is going to be severe over the next few years. And it's going to be even more severe with our frontline essential people, people in healthcare. We talk about it in the book, self-care for healthcare. We talk about the need to take care of those caretakers, the people that have witnessed a lot of this on the front lines, the people that had to go out and, like you and me, couldn't go home and work there's still a third or more of the population that really their job can't be done remotely. Those people still have to be out there in order to keep the lights on. Well, and, and you know, you're talking about the, the frontline people and the uh, so-called essential workers, but then there's another section of, of the population that's just completely lost their jobs, and those jobs may never come back. That's correct. That's correct. And that is a devastating feeling. And you can only imagine the stress that these people are feeling right now. You look at that and say, okay, how am I going to feed my family? How am I going to take care of things? And that's a very, very difficult thing. This is where all of us will need to pull together. This is where we're going to need to have structure or uh, some sort of an an entity, whether it's a private enterprise, whether it's governmental organizations, to come back and say, okay, how are we going to put these people to work? How are we going to be able to give them opportunities? to do something. We've been through crises before. We've been through the situation before. The only challenge right now is the crisis itself hasn't finished so we can start the recovery. We're still asking people to go back into the war zone even though they're feeling the effects of trauma. And that's the challenging part right now. You know, you t- um, one of the things that you mention um, in the book is um, the need to act now. And, and that preparation is key to your survival. Um, but when when there's no clear end in sight and there's a lot of uncertainty, how do you land on positive action? And that's an excellent question. Uh, we are running not just a, a marathon, if you will, but an ultra marathon in many ways. We need to adapt to the fact that right now we're going to have to be day by day, week by week, to see how things are going. That's not a natural state for humans, human beings to be in. Our psyche is not built to deal with this long-term ambiguity. 
Um, when we talk about these kind of transitions, Tom, in many ways, it's there's a beginning, a middle, and an end to any transition. And what people don't realize is that the ending is what comes first because the ending of our old way of doing things, our old normal, and we're still grieving that. We're still going through that process. There are many people that have not accepted the fact that that's gone away, whether it's because their job has gone away or the way that they operated beforehand has gone away. And they're feeling those natural emotions that happen, whether that's anger, disbelief, denial, frustration, depression, all of those emotions that come from that. But at some point, we look at it, and the only way that we can move forward is to reach a point of acceptance so we can get beyond that and now start figuring out what our next steps need to be. But we're not quite there yet because we still have that middle phase, that middle stage, where we are essentially in limbo land. It's like that cliff diver. You jump off the cliff, and you're in midair. You haven't landed yet, but you're in midair. And when you're in that state of being in midair, it's hard to, to grab onto something. There's nothing there to grab onto. People feel in emotional turmoil. They're, up is down, down is up. It's hard to figure out my bearings because this isn't the normal state that I'm in. Now, for us adults, we have a hard time not being in control. A child would look at that and say, I'm flying. They'd be their favorite superhero because they approach it with that childlike wonder and, and an openness to learning and to growth and to risk to some extent. Um, but as adults, that's not a natural state for us. The problem is that this has become the prolonged state that we're in right now, what you're describing. And this is the time for us to give ourselves permission to experiment with different things, to approach things with a different perspective, to ask the question, what if? So rather than saying, I can't, now you need to say, how can I? What if? If we change the question, it will change the trajectory of our thought process and the way that we approach things. So when we get to the other side, so when we get to that next normal, we can look at that and say, okay, now I can move forward. There are people that will never go back into the office again. They may be comfortable working remotely and they find a new way to adapt to that. Or it might be a hybrid approach where they do some time in the office and, some, and most of their time remotely. That's a different way for us to approach this life. For many people that don't have a job right now, there are a lot of, for example, servers that worked in restaurants that no longer are allowed to, to have diners in their restaurants that are now turning their, 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 their talents into a delivery. So now they're going out and finding those diners in their homes and delivering goods. It's not easy, but once we start changing the question, we can start finding different answers for us. And and that's that's an interesting point, Con, because it it seems like as we watch uh, news reports of of schools and colleges trying to to reopen this fall, and and we've seen the gatherings at beaches despite the shelter at home orders, businesses trying to reopen at half capacity and practice social distancing and so on. Um, it it seems to me like that 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 people are likely when they decide to take charge and and get a grip and and steer their own destiny that they're trying to steer back to the old normal right and that's because there has been very limited acceptance that that norm, that, that normal is no longer there 
Well, that's that's they what I'm getting at. You know, yeah. we see these people crowding into bars and onto beaches, and and then we see spikes in the disease. And a lot of people haven't really adjusted to the idea that uh, if this is anything like the Spanish flu epidemic in 1918, it's around for two or three years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this and idea that it's an... it's just a few weeks is is a myth. Right. Now, let me offer an alternate perspective. I'll go, go to that. And even though the, the, the disease itself may very well be around for a while longer, and much of that is up to us, how we approach this, it's like a fire. If we don't take certain certain measures to, to suffocate that fire, it won't go out. If we keep feeding it, it will keep growing. It will keep getting out of control. Um, as I watch a lot of the information in Europe, for example, uh, where my, I have family still back home in Greece, and in many ways, when, when, when this, at the same time when it hit us, it hit them, they shut down essentially for about six to eight weeks, and they had stay-at-home orders, and they were, they, they were strictly following those guidelines. The entire country, a population of about 11 and a half, 12 million people, had 175 deaths. Think about that. 175 deaths. And most of those happened in very particular situations and in one particular area. Then they were able to start opening up the country because they were able to follow that. But there was a unified approach to this. It was not politicized. People realized that for our own safety, for our own well-being, we have to take measures. They watched what happened in Italy next door where thousands upon thousands of people were dying. And they said, we can't allow that to happen to us. They made a different choice. Part of what we're dealing with is we need to have a a unified approach to this. We need to come to an agreement. And just like it happened, for example, in South Korea, where people understood that there was self-disciplining. Here, it's very difficult for us. We we, we forget how good we have it here in the States in many ways with, with, with everything that's going on. And we are the land of the free in so many ways. But freedom also means the freedom to choose and hopefully choose the right answer, not just for myself, but my, for my fellow countrymen, for my fellow citizens, for my neighbors. That's the important thing. I go out, I don't wear my mask just for myself. I wear my mask out of respect for, for other people. Whether I agree with it or not, these are, these are the guidelines that, that the experts have put forward, and I want to be respectful of that. I don't know that this is whether it's the right thing or wrong but I have to trust the experts that are that are asking me to do this because they've done it before and it's worked before ah the trust word there are so many people who do not trust uh, elected officials government leaders who even deny the science itself how do how, how do we manage to get those people to be more self-aware and and to understand what's happening around them if they keep shooting the messenger but is there anybody more blind than those that refuse to see i mean if i'm sitting here and looking at the situation and i refuse to accept what's in front of me no matter of persuasion will convince me beside that point until it hits home you don't really realize that when you look around and you see you know what I don't know anybody, for example, I have a friend that says, I don't know anybody that's been impacted by this. How am I supposed to believe what I can't see? Well, part of that (laughs) is trust and faith and belief. 
But you see, what they're feeling is, the pain that they're feeling is from a different crisis. When they're out of a job, that's something they feel. That's something they know is real. So they're reacting to that. It's a matter of, do I see the picture? When I'm, when I'm, when I'm not part of an oppressed minority, and I don't feel that bias against me, how am I supposed to relate to that? A lot of people can't because they don't believe it's real because they don't experience it. But I can tell you it's real to a very large part of the population. So when, when these someone, are the things that we need to look at. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, when someone has um, mental or emotional uh, problems dealing with change and, and they're feeling the, the kind of fear and depression that we've been talking about, um, how do people around them, friends and family and loved ones, um, I, I approach them in a way that that is non-threatening? Is it important to even try, and, and how can they do it? I think the key word is here, as, as, as corny as some of the people might think it is, it's love, it's kindness, it's patience. It's all of those things that, that we need to manage. If this person is someone we care about, we need to approach them with love, with empathy, with understanding. Is there really anyone that's not affected by this in one way or another? We're all affected by this. If anything, one of the things that's come out is a broader acknowledgement that, that mental issues, mental illnesses, problems, depression, these things are real. And until now, we've been sweeping them under the carpet thinking that, you know, it happens to somebody else. But I can tell you for a fact, it's affecting more people than realize that 800% growth are new cases. These are not people with chronic issues. We're all feeling the pandemic fatigue. We're all feeling different varying levels of depression or, or isolation or different things, the effects that we're going through. None of us is unaffected. None of us is immune to this. And that's something that we need to realize. So if we're all in this together, let's approach each other with a sense of love, with empathy, with understanding, with kindness. That's, that'll go a long way for us to be able to heal from this trauma together. Are you able to draw on experiences that uh, um, you had as a young man in Greece and then later in life with uh, your rebuilding efforts in New Orleans after Katrina? Yes, and that's a big part, I think, where, where my, my fascination would change with, with dealing with these kind of things comes from. In many ways, I chose the United States as my home. My wife is a U.S. citizen. We came here to the States more than 20 years ago together as a married couple. And I made the U.S. my home. So essentially, I'm a first-generation immigrant here. But I was also born in another place where my parents were immigrants and in Australia. So I've lived across the world, and I've seen different cultures and different ways of doing things from that piece. And when I was growing up in Greece and my parents returned back to Greece, um, we had to deal with several different devastating things. I come from a, from a home, my hometown is a big port town on the west coast of Greece named Patras, and it's a big manufacturing town, or used to be, big hub. And like many places, perhaps even like Flint in many ways, um, a lot of big blue-collar community. Mom and dad met probably at the factory, got married, had kids. The kids grew up, worked in the factory. Right. But at some point, these factories went through in the 80s late 70s and 80s, through the economic fallout, and many of these were shut down. 
the unemployment rate skyrocketed because when you have an entire family working in one plant and that plant shuts down, it impacts everybody. And so I've lived through a lot of the economic depression in our local area and in the broader area of Greece as we were rebuilding and moving into the future. And at the same time, we live in a, in a part as beautiful as it is, it's very susceptible to earthquakes. So we've had several earthquakes growing up that we were impacted by and finding, you know, all of a sudden cracks going down your house um, and not being able to return back into your house or feeling devastated every time there's another tremor following up to it as a kid. These are things that, that leave you with certain feelings, certain experiences. And you realize and you try to confront those fears and you try to figure out what's what's fear, what's danger, and figuring out how to deal with that. And then coming to the States, um, feeling the, the seeing devastation after 9-11 um, in downtown Manhattan or the devastation from Katrina after the fact. I was working for an organization and we had the opportunity and the privilege to go there after the devastation of Katrina in 2005 and play a, even a small part rebuilding some of that and helping to, to put together playgrounds for kids and put some smiles on those faces because the kids are the ones that are going to carry that forward as well. It's going to change their trajectory in many ways. So easing that pain, that trauma is a big part of getting them back to some semblance of the next normal. And all of these things that we've dealt with, the shootings here in Colorado, for example, in Columbine, um, Dr. Ilya, my partner, in many ways, he's a big part of his background from a clinical psychology standpoint. Uh, he was able to offer his perspective from that, from the behavioral and mental issues and challenges that people face. He's also certified as a Red Cross first responder from a mental standpoint and behavioral pieces. So he was there the day after Columbine and shared a lot of the firsthand knowledge that he had with me. He went to Haiti after the earthquake. He was in the in L.A. during the earthquakes there. But again, many of these things, we're talking about natural disasters that have that are over fairly quickly, considering where we are right now. And then the rebuilding starts. Then the healing starts. Here, we're trying to heal while we're still experiencing this problem. We're still in the middle of this battle, and we're still trying to recover in the process. Con, I had uh, a, a listener call in a little bit ago, and I hadn't cleared it with you first. They wanted to jump in and talk about some of the changes that have happened to them. Um, can you stick around for another segment, and do you mind if we take a call or two? Absolutely. I'd love to be able to help. Okay. Um, and and I want to talk some more about uh, about you and, and Dr. Elia and, and how you got together and, and how this book grew out of that. Um, and, and really, what, what made you decide to write the book? I'd love to talk about that. Okay. Um, also, before we go to break, I... I just want to check and, and make sure, and we'll we'll revisit this at the end of the uh, conversation. But is there some place where people can find out more about what we've been talking about? Do you have a website? Absolutely. So one of the places that we can they can find us uh, from myself. It's www.freshbizsolutions.com. That's biz with a B I Z. Or through LinkedIn, they can reach out to me directly and connect. Uh, I'm under Coach Com. Um, for Dr. Ilya, he's known as the Happiness Doctor, so they can also find him on LinkedIn under 
The Happiness Doctor, or on his website at The Happiness Center. And my guest is uh, one of the co-authors of a book called Seven Keys to Navigating a Crisis, a Practical Guide to Emotionally Dealing with Pandemics and Other Disasters. And we're going to uh, take a short break, and we'll be back with Constantinos I got to look at it to say it. Apostolopoulos, <laughs> the founder and Very C- good. <laughs> the founder and CEO of Fresh Biz Solutions. So stay tuned, and Max, if you're uh, out there still listening, give us a call back, and uh, and we'll fold you into the conversation when we return um, from letting our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in. Stay tuned. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not, is a major factor in dancing like a retard, may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them, also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people, and it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. 
they can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. The interest of goodwill. The Hoffman Beverage Company feels compelled to make this announcement. It's simply this. All Hoffman flavors have that happy taste, except sarsaparilla. We might as well come right out with it. We haven't quite hit that happy, carefree note in sarsaparilla. Now, please don't misunderstand us. Our Hoffman sarsaparilla is absolutely dependable. It's trustworthy. It's loyal. And many fine, upstanding citizens love it. But it just isn't what we call happy. You take our Hoffman orange, it's absolutely rollicking. Our lemon is almost giggly. Our black cherry and black raspberry are so bubbling with happiness, they dance in the glass. They all have natural flavor and famous Hoffman steady sparkle. We're sorry about Hoffman sarsaparilla. Why isn't it happy? Well, let me ask you, could you be happy if your name were This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We're talking about a new book called Seven Keys to Navigating a Crisis, a Practical Guide to Emotionally Dealing with Pandemics and Other Disasters, co-authored by Dr. Elia Gugurus and uh, Konstantinos Apostolopoulos, who uh, uh, also goes by Coach Khan. And uh, Khan joins me by phone. Khan, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Thank you for having me, Tom. And I appreciate you spending all this time. Before the break, I, I brought up, I wondered how you and Dr. Elia got together and and how that collaboration led to this book. Well, that's an interesting story, and thank you for asking the question. Um, Dr. Elia and I are first and foremost friends, very good friends, and we've helped each other. We've supported each other. We've uh, collaborated on different projects professionally. Um, and he and I had actually started uh, writing, co-authoring together on different uh, blogs, guest blogs. Uh, and we've had the opportunity to kind of work together and partner with our writing. Uh, there's a lot of synergy there and a lot of interest. And we found that at some point we'd really like to write a book. Well, when mid-March hit and everything got locked down, we found ourselves in a situation just like everybody else, sheltering at home. So he approached me and he says, Brother, I've had an insight. I've had a, I, I've had uh, one of those moments where I feel the the the, the need to write something, um, write a book and help people. Well, normally when two Greeks get together, they open a restaurant. But in this case, <laughs> we figured that we couldn't feed enough people. And some of so my favorite restaurants, would, by the way. There you go, there you go. So we figured that at least if we can't feed people uh, from that perspective, being sheltered at home, let's see if we can at least nourish. Their emotional, uh, their emotional side and their spiritual side from that piece and try to help them make it through this. So we approached it from that perspective and we said, okay, um, Dr. Elia has that clinical, that behavioral background from a psychology standpoint. I can help from a change management standpoint. And lo and behold, within six weeks, we put our heads down and we were able to complete the book from concept to publishing. And we put it on Amazon and uh, the seven keys to navigating a crisis became a reality. And from that time on, we've been able to start getting our message out. We've been reaching out to people and trying in our own way to bring some semblance of hope to people, uh, some alternative approaches, um, 
help them build their resilience, that sponge that we talked about at the beginning of the show, and essentially, in so many different ways, be able to kind of lay out a roadmap at a time when people are looking for answers. There's a lot of information out there, scientific information, statistical information, so many different things. We found that one thing that was lacking was somebody to answer those questions about emotion. How do we deal with this? And that's where, again, that, that increase in emotional um, trauma and, and, and reactions to this change of the pandemic fatigue, people are looking for answers, people that never considered themselves as somebody to have emotional problems. And now they're realizing that they're very, very real and they need answers to them. And that's why we wrote the book and that's why we've been out there helping people. That was the initial intent. I, I told you we had a caller and he uh, he called back and uh, is on the line now. Um, and Max, are you still with us? Uh, yes, I am. And uh, <laughs> through the pandemic and everything and mask and uh, uh, how the world has changed. I'm a retired uh, court officer, at least semi and uh it's just you know you can't even file a paper now because everybody's afraid you're gonna catch the pandemic and uh i mean you know five years ago seven years ago, we didn't know what pandemic was and now it's like uh you, you get out of bed in the morning and you go oh, what's going to happen today Ugh. it's all coronavirus <laughs> all the time right hey <laughs> max let me let me ask you real quickly um were you retired, um, and you say semi-retired, was that because of the pandemic? Well, uh, that and how life has changed, I have to be so careful now because uh, you're under the microscope, everything you do, uh, you know, you really got to double check yourself and uh, everybody seems to be either depressed or angry and uh, you just, uh, you don't know how to approach people anymore because everybody is just so upset and mad at the world and it's like where's this all going i mean you know now stores are saying well if you don't have a mask you're not coming in what <laughs> i mean all right, well it's like max thanks for the thanks for the call do you have a question for con uh no i just uh interesting book and uh i'll tell you doctor you're on the ball and uh, we need all the help we can get <laughs> you have a good day thanks okay max take care thanks all right Okay, uh, Con, as, uh, as we move into the, the final couple of minutes here, I asked you once before about some places uh, that people could learn more, and you mentioned uh, Fresh Biz, is it Fresh Biz Solutions? B-I-Z, yes. And that's my company, the organization that I work with. Um, I help a lot of my clients deal with uh, organizational change. Some of it is typically... Um, things that they want to change on their own, so they're driving that change. But a lot of times it's reacting to change as well, and it's responding to the different situations. Um, outside of the individuals that are impacted by this, organizations are not immune to them. Whether you are a for-profit, privately held, publicly held, um, whether you are an, an educational institution or a, a, a startup, I mean, organizations are impacted, just like Max was talking about, his, his professional a trajectory may have changed. It may have accelerated his retirement from that perspective. Leaders are looking for answers as well. And from that perspective, we hope to be able to provide the same thing that we do for individuals, whether it's through our coaching or through our book, um, but to also be able to offer answers to, to business leaders that are saying, okay, how do I deal with this? I mean, think about the simple fact that 
even if your workforce or part of your workforce returns back into the office. It's not the same office they left. Essentially, yeah, I was thinking about some of the, you know, you mentioned restaurants, as, as any good mm-hmm. Greek should. Um, right. <laughs> but, but think about some of the, the restaurant owners. They're, be, they're being told they can open back up for, you know, in-dining room uh, seating, but at half capacity. And, and they're looking at that and doing the math in their head and saying we were barely making it before. How can we put on a happy face and open this restaurant at half capacity when we know we're going to be losing money? Correct. And these are the new numbers, the new realities that they're forced to deal with. So what's being spawned from this is, is you know, once we've done with that with our hand-wringing, we need to look at that and say, what can I do? Again, change the question to change the destination of where your mind is going to go. There are many restaurants, for example, that are now changing things up in order to be more compliant with this. They're extending their back of the house where the cooking action, the preparation happens into the dining area that now is being partially unused in order to social distance and allow their staff in the back to remain at a safe distance from each other and still continue to work. They're asking permission in some municipalities to extend their dining area outdoors while we still can and use some of the sidewalk or even the street. Some areas, they're blocking even the streets off and turning them into pedestrian areas where people can actually social distance. There are different ways. I even saw uh, uh, one of the the reports that I had early on in Europe, for example. There was this little Dutch restaurant on one of the canals. They literally built a little greenhouse around each table and were serving people in that kind of a situation where it was a clear glass or some, some sort of a clear structure but people could still see others, see outside, but they were protected inside that little space in kind of isolation from that piece. So industry has an, has an amazing way of adapting. Once we change the question, we can change that trajectory for many ways. It's a matter of how can we make our business work this way? Do we need to focus on different things? It's not easy, but then again, nothing like this is easy to deal with from that perspective but we have to put our heads together and see how we can approach it. Well, the name of the book is, uh, once again, Seven Keys to Navigating a Crisis, a Practical Guide to Emotionally uh, Dealing with Pandemics and Other Disasters. We've been talking with Konstantinos Apostolopoulos, who is one of the co-authors of the book, also known as Coach Khan. Khan, it's been a real uh, honor and a privilege to uh, be able to spend this time with you and, and talk about this Thank you, Tom. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you to your audience for listening. And if there's anything else that we can help with from our perspective, please reach out. At this point in time, we all need to pull together, be kind to each other, be patient with each other, and be a little bit more flexible and adaptable to see what this next normal can look like. All right. Well, thanks so much, and uh, best of luck with the book and all of your other projects and work. Thank you. That was uh, Coach Khan. And uh, we're going to have more of the Tom Sumner program uh, coming up um, straight ahead. Um, In fact, uh, Ailey Cohen will be joining us uh, during the next hour.
Sumner. 